morning. So good to see you this morning at the church at Sturkey Hills. We're excited to be here. We had a baptism in the early service, and we're going to ordain a couple of young men in, in, at the end of this service. It's just a special day. It's the last year of the year, and I know some of y'all are thinking, I'm glad that one's over. Uh, we got a brand new one that launches uh, tonight at midnight, and so we want you to come be a part of that if you're, if you're able to come at night uh, to, in our night of worship as we usher in the new year. It's going to be a good time. And so uh, we're excited. We're in the book of Acts, and so you can open your Bibles to uh, the, uh, the book of Acts. And as we get into this Acts chapter 6, we're going to look at uh, just a few verses today. Well, don't get your, head, don't get your hopes up. We're, it's going to be a full service. But we're only going to look at a few verses from Acts, okay? And so... So here's what's great. Uh, I love the book of Acts because it tells us about a growing church. It tells us about a church that's just been launched, and it's just setting the woods on fire. I mean, the Holy Spirit is moving. Jesus is doing exactly what he said he would do, and that is to build his church. And we see, uh, we learn how we're supposed to be as a church. And the truth is, when something is growing, there's something that's going to come with it. Are you ready? It's growing pains. It's just a reality. When something grows, pain comes with it. And, and so we're going to see that in the early church. Now, why that's encouraging is because we'll know how to uh, navigate through growing pains ourselves. You see, we're a growing church. Now, who would have known, you know, nine years ago, 50 people would grow in nine years to uh, last week, there's right at a thousand people here. And so who would have seen that coming except God? And so I'm delighted about what God has, is sending us and what God has done and, and what Jesus said he's going to continue to do until the day that he returns for the church. And that's to grow his church. And, and we want to be a part of that. We want to posture ourselves, position ourselves just to not get in the way and let God do what he wants to do with his church. And so with that comes growing pains. And I was thinking about it, you know, even when you have a baby, if you have a baby, growing brings pain, right? I mean, uh, as they grow, there's adjustments that have to be made. You, you have to buy new shoes before the old shoes are worn out. Buying new clothes before the old clothes are worn out. You're dumping them on Facebook Marketplace at a tenth of what you gave for them. Uh, but with growing pain comes progress. You know, there's a, they, they, they're progressing and they start talking back. They start walking away. And, you know, so it's difficult, but then they get potty trained. And so there's a win. And so that's what it looks like in something that's growing. A business might be growing and all of a sudden they're in a financial crunch because things are growing so rapidly. They have to go to the lending institution to borrow some more money money to accommodate for growth, and, and they have to uh, hire more people, which is really difficult to find people who want to work. And so growing pains is part of it, part of it. but at the end, they enjoy possibly a greater uh, part of the market share. Um, now they can provide maybe uh, uh, company insurance for everybody. So there's benefits that come through the growing pains. And it's true in just about everything that is growing, everything that is alive, and it's true in the church. Now, let me just go ahead and be real honest with you. I love growing pains. Lord, I want you to hear me. We love the growing pains. Why? Because if we're not suffering from growing pains or experiencing growing pains, we are experiencing dying pains, especially in the church, but it's true of business and anything else because things either are growing or dying. They're not stagnant. They're moving in one direction or the other. You say, well, how does the church die. The church dies by a thing called attrition. Attrition includes things like death. People grow old, they die, the church shrinks by one person. Uh, people grow up, they go to college, they move away, the church shrinks. People get married and they move away, it shrinks. Uh, all kinds of things contribute to a shrinking church. Uh, people change careers, they move away, and the church shrinks. So a church needs to be actively growing. It needs to be growing by inviting people who don't know Jesus to come into the family of God through salvation because of the good gospel of Jesus or for people maybe who are de-churched, once upon a time maybe a part of the church, got disenchanted, got church hurt, walked away, moved away, got set aside, and now they get engaged back in the local church again. So we want to be a church that, that sees God grow. Why? Because God is about growing his church. Jesus said he's going to build his church and the gates of hell would not uh, stand against it. Now, in Acts, just in the first few chapters, we have seen God add to his church. We've seen God multiply his church. We've even seen God sub 
subtract a pair from his church last week. And one thing you'll never see in the, in the, arithm, in the arithmetic of God is division. He will never divide his church. You see, that is the function that the devil uses. His goal is to divide anything that God multiplies, okay? Because he is the antithesis is there, if there is such a thing. He's not really the opposite. There is no opposite of God. God stands alone. But he presses against everything that God does and tries to move things in the opposite direction. So his tactic is division. And so in this early church, we see all of these people coming to Jesus for salvation, following in the, the, the uh, in obedience of baptism. Uh, the church is just exploding with growth. And so we're going to see today what happens when a church grows because it was true then and it's true now. It's called growing pains. Now, let me, let me give you an example. Kendra and I went out to Phoenix uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and we went to a great church. And I've been listening to this guy for a while. Church is growing really rapidly. And, and, and we can't go to a church that we don't have our investigative glasses on. You know, it's like, we're going to check everything out. I can't turn it off. I've got to just evaluate it. And so we drive up and, and it says guest parking. So we said, well, let's check out the guest parking because we're guests. So we drove down this and it led to nowhere. Nobody was there to tell us. So we drove right out of the guest parking and parked in the regular general parking. So they didn't get a high score on that, but it was the early service. We're going to give them a slide. So then we get out and we walk up and they had a canopy there with some people working kind of like uh, Bailey and Colby do. And it's great. And they were really friendly. And they said, hey, go over there and get you some coffee. We went over there and got some coffee. It wasn't as good as ours, but it was okay. And, and then and, and so then, we go, we're, now we're going into church. We're ready, right? We got, we've got a card at the, at the tent. They said, hey, turn this in and get a, get, a gift from a, a first-time guest gift. Okay. So we go in, and, and, and the environment was really good. What is it? Lighting was good. The facility was good. Felt, you know, welcoming. And so we sat down. I filled out the card. I told Kendra. We got there early. We wanted to sit close to the front. And uh, I said, I'm going to go get, see what we do with this card. So I walked to the back. And there's a guy there. I'm not going to tell you the name of church, but it says Team Church on his lanyard. So I said, hey, Mr. Team Church, uh, what do I do with this card? And he goes, I don't know. Eh, wrong answer. He just failed that one. I get an X on that one, okay? So I told, called our staff. I said, be sure everybody knows what everybody else is doing, okay? So eh, don't know. And it, and it wasn't like, let me help you find out. He was like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, am I supposed to have the conversation? Okay, so then he says, I'll tell you what, there's, there's one of our pastors. So I go over to meet Pastor Carl, nice guy. Pastor Carl's standing there, but, and, 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 team, and church, a team church just dumped me off with Pastor Carl, but Pastor Carl wasn't by himself. He's got a little woman there who's giving him down the road on Sunday morning because she didn't get a notice about the room change for the pre-service prayer meeting. And so she's been wandering around for 45 minutes and didn't get to pray. And, he's, and she's letting him have it. Now, Carl was very kind. She was very agitated, okay? Meanwhile, I don't know what to do. I mean, am I supposed to stand there and look goofy or just walk off? Come, looking goofy comes easily, so I just stood there and looked goofy. She finished up her conversation, letting him have it, and then I... You know, he says, hey, how can I help you? And I wanted to say, you might want to spend some more time with her. Okay, but I didn't. He said, yeah, let me go get you a gift bag. So we go out there, and he opens up this cabinet. He's fishing around in there, and he pulls out this blue bag. And I'm like, oh, yeah, blue bag. And then he opens up, he's fishing around, pulls out a book, stuck the book in the bag. And he said, man, we're glad you're here. And I'm like, eh, we got a C minus on that one. Now, I tell you all that to say, growing pains. This church is growing rapidly. And when a church grows rapidly, you can count on some pain along the way. But here's the thing. What I want to encourage you about is don't be the cause of the pain. Be the solution to the pain. Amen? Amen. Now, that's what we're going to see today as we look at Acts chapter 6. Now, if, if you look on the back of your life guide, uh, point number one is this. Problems in the growing pains problems in the growing pains. Listen to what it says in verse 1. It says, now in those days when the disciples were growing in number, the Greek word is plethuno. We get our word plethora. Okay, it was rapidly multiplying. A lot of people coming. And it says a complaint. I mean, it's like it's growing, complaint comes with it. There's no separation. There's no paragraph to describe it. It just says it's growing and they're complaining. So, so it, it's real. It's real. It says a complaint arose. Now, let me, let me just, we're going to address this whole complaining thing right now, okay? In the Greek, the word is gongismos. Everybody say gongismos. Did you notice what that sounded like? It sounded like murmuring and complaining. 
That's what you walk around, gongismos, gongismos. Yeah, gongismos. Oh, you're gongismos. Somebody came out after the early service and said it was Pete. He said, gongismos. I said, gongismos right back at you. See, that's a word. And so that's what they're doing. They're complaining and murmuring. And it says, and they're, listen, listen to what they're complaining and murmuring about. And it's a legitimate need, but the, the way they handled it was not right. It says they, they uh, a complaint arose on the part of the Greek-speaking Jews against the native Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So you have two groups of Jews. They're all Jews. Some of them are Jerusalem Jews. They never left home. They're right there where the church is launching. Some were Greek Jews. They're part of the diaspora. They had been dispersed because of hard times in the past. And they're in, they're in, uh, in, in, they're, they're, they've lived a Greek life. They speak a Greek language. But now they're Christians also. They're all Jewish Christians, but the Greek-speaking Jews, their widows weren't getting what they should get, and the Jerusalem widows seemed to be getting more than their fair share. And so when multiplication happens, murmurification happens, followed by mutterification, okay? Now, we've got to be careful about that as we continue to grow. And it's, it's my prayer. It's my vision. It's my sincere belief that God is going to continue to grow our church. He said he was going to. We're trying to align ourselves with, with the biblical church. He'll grow the church. And so we've got to understand that and learn how to navigate through it well. So I want you to learn something about murmuring and complaining, the biblical view of that today, because we have to be careful and we need to understand it. Philippians Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Do everything without grumbling. Same word, gongismos, or arguing, which means to dispute or be in contention, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without blemish, though you live in a crooked and perverse society in which you shine as lights in the world. I said it before, there's some people who think that complaining is their spiritual gift. Okay, murmuring is not a spiritual gift. Oh, it's spiritual, but it's a whole different spirit, all right? And, and so, on the other hand, rather than what we learn in Philippians about just grumbling and complaining, First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Murmuring, complaining, not God's will. Giving thanks, God's will. So the next time you begin to murmur or complain about something, rather than do that, simply be thankful. Look for a reason to be thankful to override our murmuring and our complaining. Now, I want you to notice that what the problem was was a legitimate problem. This growing pain is a legitimate need. They're going to tell us that. It's not like it didn't matter. All oh, the widows don't matter, especially those. It's not that. But the problem is the way they addressed it. You see, a group of of men or women or families that were Greek Jews, they didn't say, you know what, our ladies are getting left out. We need to go let the apostles know because they probably don't even know about it because they're trying to align themselves with Scripture. They're praying. They're leading well. The church is growing. The Holy Spirit's doing a thing. And so we need to go let them know what's happening to see if we can come up with a plan. Or let's come up with a plan and resolve this problem ourselves. That's not how they handled it. They murmured and they complained. Now, in the Old Testament, we, we, it, and it didn't new, okay? 2,000 years ago, murmuring, gongismos did not just show up, okay? And it didn't just show up last week here. And, and we don't have a lot of murmuring and complaining, at least not while I'm around. <laughs> Let's keep it that way, okay? But it's not new. It was in the Old Testament. Listen to what the Scripture says about it in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 16, verse 18. The Lord has heard your murmurings. That you are murmuring against him. As for us, what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but they are against the Lord. Just think about that. When we whine and complain and murmur about things that are not that important, we're murmuring against God. I had to repent of this. Let me give you an example. I went to the doctor about two weeks ago. I've got a knee replacement coming on January uh, 23rd. The doctor said, yeah, the other one's probably three years behind it. And that hip above that bad knee, yeah, it's just a couple of years. It's going to start hurting them. Thanks for the encouragement. And, and so I'm, I'm 61, and I've been murmuring a little bit. I'm like, God, you know, I'm trying to live for you, you know, and, and, and I'm falling apart. So I go to the doctor, pre-surgery counsel, whatever, and she asks me, do you, do you smoke? Nope. Do you drink? Nope. Been diagnosed with diabetes? Nope. Do you have a, a kidney liver failure? Nope. Do you have high blood pressure? Nope. Take any medication? Nope. 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 She said, you're doing really good for a guy that's 61 years old. I said, I'm in here for a knee replacement. What are you talking about? 
She said, trust me, most men 60 and older, they're taking something for something, okay? And so in that moment, I realized I have been a murmurer, a whiner. And so I had, I said, I I told Kendra, I had to confess. I said, God, I repent. I changed my mind. I agree with you. You've been so good to me. And this bad need just slows me down a little bit so other people can catch up with me. So I'm for it. And and, and so it's okay. So what we do if we're not careful, we focus on the thing that seems to dissatisfy us the most we begin to murmur and complain rather than rejoice in all of the good things that God does. And that's what's happening. This church is on fire. People who are hell-bound, coming to Jesus, being forgiven, being sealed with the Holy Spirit for redemption, one day are going to spend eternity in heaven with, uh, with other believers in Jesus, and we're going to get worked up about the widows, okay? So we have to be care- careful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, murmuring finds its place among other terrible sins. It's a big deal. So here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So idolatry is a big one. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's a big one. Number two, verse eight. And let us not be immoral as some of them were. And 23,000 died in a single day. What's immorality? Fornication, adultery, pornography, immoral. It's, It's on the list. And then he goes on, he says, and let us not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Here's a big one that God responds to, well, putting Christ to the test. But I want you to notice number four. On this terrible list, verse 10 says, and do not complain. And the Greek word, you guessed it, gongizmo. He says, do not complain or murmur as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Let that pass across your mind the next time you start to complain and whine and murmur, okay? I mean, destroyed by this angel. So there's a right way and a wrong way to address problems and growing pains. So point number one, there are growing pains, and those growing pains present themselves as problems. So what do we do? If we're going to keep growing, what do we do? We go to point number two. We establish priorities for the growing pains. And we don't have to establish them. God has already told us the priorities. So what are the priorities when when a church is growing? Verse 2 and verse 4 of Acts chapter 6. We're going to skip 3 for a minute. Verse 2 says, So the twelve called the whole group of disciples together and said, It is not right for us to neglect the word of God to wait on tables. Now, in this verse, we find the word wait. Your translation may say serve. That word is an introduction to a new word called diakoneo. We get our word deacon from this word, okay? It means to serve or to wait or to administer help. And so the apostles are not saying, "Uh, we're too good to serve tables. I mean, look at us. We are the apostles. Come on. We don't serve tables. They've been serving tables. They've been doing it all because they saw Jesus do it because Jesus was a server, right? And and so they're not saying this isn't important. In fact, they say, let us not neglect the word of God to wait on tables. But in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. He says, listen, we're going to do what we're supposed to do. And we want other people to do what they're supposed to do. And so the opportunity now is for more people to be engaged in the ministry of the church. It's just not the preacher doing all the work. And ultimately, it's not the preachers and the deacons doing all the work. If you are a child of God, if you are a member of a local church body like this one, you have been gifted You have been placed within you the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says you have love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit. And if the Spirit lives in you, those fruit live in you. And then we learn that he comes alongside those fruit, and he invests gifts in your life, spiritual gifts. He has appointed you, and assigned you, and called you, and challenged you to deploy the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit that are in you in the local church body. He didn't just save you because he wants to spend eternity with you, and he does want to spend eternity with you. But until you start spending eternity in heaven with him, he wants to deploy you and use you in his kingdom agenda, which is changing the world 
through the gospel of Jesus Christ administered through the tool that he selected called the church. That's a mouthful. Just say amen so I can rest. All right, it's just true. Everything I said is just true. Now, 1 Corinthians 1440, we learn a new thing about the church. The church is supposed to be organized. It's supposed to be, have some level of organization. In 1 Corinthians 1440, it says, let everything be done decently and with order, straight out of the scripture. And see, we see it in the nature of God. When we see creation, it's in order. When we read the Ten Commandments, there's an order. When we look at a baby being formed in the womb, there's order. When we look at the cosmos, the stars in the sky, there's order. When we see prophecy and read it, there's order. And we see it in the church. Now, some people argue and say that church is too organized. You've just organized the Holy Spirit right out of it. Sometimes people say, I don't know why you confine yourself to an hour and a half service. Okay, I mean, if the worship team wants to sing longer, they should be able to sing another song. And if you want to preach longer, you should just well, preach, uh, preach longer. And I know some of you are thinking, who is that? I'm going to punch them in the face when we leave today. I'm not going to give any names. And so, and so what happens, you know, what, what happens, we, why, the Holy Spirit ought to be in control. Listen, the people who say that, they don't work back in the back in the children and preschool. Fifteen minutes into the worship service, they're looking at their watch. Has it not been an hour and a half? Okay. Now, at the same time, there is organization. It's not organization or the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit or organization. It's both and. A church should have organization and structure, and a, a church should be led and empowered and fueled by the Holy Spirit. And so we begin to see that, that, that how the church is supposed to be. And, 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 and we need to understand that, that in fairness, there are churches so organized and so rigid that Sometimes the Holy Spirit looks down and says, well, they've just organized me right out of it. They've got things just like they like it. But at the same time, no doubt the Holy Spirit looks at some churches and says, whoa, they have, they've developed their own, conjured up their own spirit. There's not room for me in that bunch. So we want to find balance. We want to be a church that is biblically organized and at the same time yielded to the freedom and the exercise of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to know right now, in the middle of this sermon, there's an opportunity for you to serve, an opportunity to you, for you. Everybody do like this. Just point at yourself, okay? I want you to be in I want you to know there's a place, and, and you will never experience what it, what it feels like to be a part of the, the Lord's church until you're serving. And let me show you this little video because serving is for everybody. Watch this. Welcome to this church at the hotel at Stokey Hills. Is this where we check in? Uh-huh. What do I need to do first? Um, get card. Then you just have to find your room. Okay? okay. Okay. Can you point me in the direction of my room? Um, is that way. Okay. I'll find it. Now, that's my grandson. He's three. Let me just tell you, the last thing you want to, to do is be outserved by a three-year-old. I mean, he's three, he's at the Connection Center, he's got it all figured out. Welcome to the hotel at Sturkey Hills. And then he says, Kelsey asked him what I do. He said, take a card and then find your room. This is not rocket science, okay? Where's Michael Hackler at? Michael Hackler was in here. Where's he sitting? I know he's in here because he was holding the door for me. He's right back here. He was, first time I've seen him hold this door back here, okay? Excellent job. He's smiling. Hey, how you doing? Got his lanyard on. He's holding the door. There is a place for everybody, okay? We're not asking you to stand up and quote Leviticus, okay? We're asking you to say, how can I help and find a small way to deploy the fruits and the gifts in your life and see how God uses it? Now, what about me? Am I trying to find a way out? No, I, I, I'm just like the I'm not just like the apostles. That would be a vast overstatement. Okay, I'm kind of like the apostles. Okay, I have my job to do, and you have your job to do. In fact, in Ephesians 4, it says, the Holy Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he himself gave some as apostles, he gave some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry that is to build up the body of Christ, 
Did you get that? He's assigned some to be pastors. That's what I am. We'll talk about it in a minute. And he's assigned uh, my job, my primary responsibility to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is to challenge and encourage and to establish ways for you to serve the local church and God's kingdom agenda so that the Holy Spirit will bless it and God will expand his forever family of heaven. It's beautiful. It doesn't mean I'm not supposed to work. The apostles weren't saying, I'm too good to wait tables. The apostles were saying, I'm still waiting tables, but there's some stuff I've got to be sure that I make the main things the main things. It reminds me of a story I read. A guy was thinking about getting a pet. So he goes to the pet store and he says, I'm interested in a bird and I'd prefer he talk. So the pet store owner says, I got a couple of parakeets. He said, okay. He says, one is $30 and one's $100. And he says, okay, what's the difference? Well, the $30 parakeet, he'll talk a little bit, sing a little bit. The $100 parakeet, he talks all the time, sings all the time. So the guy said, I don't want all that. I'll just take the $30 variety. So he took the $30 variety parakeet home, had him for a week, came back to the pet store a week later. He says, listen, this parakeet has not sang, has not said one word. The store owner says, well, did he ring the little bell? I, I didn't know about a bell. He says, he's got to ring the bell. That sets the tone for, his, for him to speak. And he says, where do I get a bell? He said, we sell bells. They're $5. He said, okay, give me a bell. $5 goes home, hangs a little bell in there. Week goes by, birds ringing a bell. No words. He goes back to the pet store. He says, listen, he rang the bell all week long. Not one word. The pet shop owner says, was he swinging on the little ladder? And he says, a little ladder? You didn't say anything about a ladder. He says, I got ladders. They're $10. And he says, that'll get his exercise, get his uh, momentum going. So he bought a ladder, hung it in the cage all week long. He's ringing the bell and swinging on the ladder. No words. Goes back to the pet store on a th third time. He says, listen, he's ringing the bell, swinging the ladder. He is not saying any words. He said, did he look in the mirror very much? What mirror? He says he needs to look in the mirror. That way he thinks he has a friend and he talks to his friend. How much is a mirror? He said, a mirror is 20 bucks. He said, I'll take a mirror. Hangs it in there all week long. Little bird's looking in the mirror, swinging on the ladder, ringing the bell, no words. Comes back the next time, he says, I got nothing. The store owner says, is he swinging on the little swing? What little swing? He said, I got them, they're $30. So he goes home all week long. This bird is, is, is ringing the bell, climbing a ladder. He's looking in the mirror. He's swinging on the swing. And finally, the little bird, uh, the, the man comes in. He says, listen, all week long, he did every bit of that. And last night, he just jumped up in the air and laid on his back, fluffed up his feathers and stuck his feet up in the air. And when I went over to check on him, he looked up at me and said, hey, fella, do they not sell any bird seed down there where you're buying all this junk? Now you say, what's that have to do with this sermon? Sometimes the church is real good about wanting the preacher to ring the bell and climb the ladder and look at this and look at that and swing on the swing. And meanwhile... I'm not ready on Sunday to get out the bird seed. And the point is this. My job, my primary job is to pray and to study and to preach. And your primary job is to serve. And it's that simple. I lead, you serve. God blesses and the church grows. It's an amazing formula. And it's so simple. And that's who we want to be moving forward. We want to be a church that aligns with biblical guidelines. And so sometimes we allow good things to get in the way of the best things. And so when we have problems, what do we do? We establish priorities. Once our priorities are established, what do we do next? Number three, prescription for growing pains. Now in the Bible, when you read the Bible, there are some things that are descriptive. In other words, they're just describing a scenario or an event or something. But there's other passages, many of them, that are prescriptive. It's like if you go to the pharmacy and you get a prescription, you're supposed to take that prescription, apply it into your life, and, and let it be beneficial. Well, here we find a prescription for growing pains. In verse 3, the one we skipped between 2 and 4, this is what the apostle said. Carefully select from among you, brothers, seven men who are well attested, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this necessary task. So he says, neighborhood, 
group of believers in that Greek Jewish area, we want you to choose from among you. And, and the description of those to choose, he said we want them to be blameless, in other words, of high character. We want them to demonstrate a Jesus kind of nature. We want them to be full of the Spirit, meaning serving, already having a serving spirit because they're pursuing the Holy Spirit's gifting in their life. And, and they want someone who will own this necessary task. Uh, somebody who will not just come up with ideas, but dive in and accomplish and satisfy the need. Now, that word that we saw a minute ago, waiting or serving, is the word, as I've mentioned, diakoneo. Now, these men are not necessarily the first deacons because it doesn't say that. They could be because they are serving and it's this same word. But to find out more about what we're supposed to do today in the church in regards to serving and meeting needs, let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is going to write to young Timothy. He says, listen, in the church, this whole organization, I want to give you a little bit of structure. I want it to be led by a group of people or an individual, and I want it to be served by an individual or a group of people. These are called what we call pastors and deacons. Now, in the first part of it, he's going to identify me. Now, in this, in this passage, he's going to refer to them sometimes as elders, sometimes as pastors. Let me just go ahead and clear it up. In the Bible, for the leader of the church, he can be called a shepherd, an overseer. He can be called the leader. He can be called the pastor. He can be called elder. He can be called bishop. Most people call me Pastor Joel. If you want to call me Bishop Joel, it's fine, but I am not wearing a pointed hat, okay? But I go by Pastor Joel. But in the Bible, all of those words are the same. Sometimes people say, oh, you're not elder-led, you're pastor-led, huh? You know, uh, hello, an elder-led church is a pastor-led church, is a shepherd-led church, is a leader-led church, is a bishop-led church. There's only two words, episkopos and presbyteros, okay? That's it. Now, I just wanted you to know that. You can call me any of those names. Some will call me other names. I don't want to know about it, okay? Moving forward now, he assigns a description for another group of people in the church who are need meters, people who are just going to meet needs in the church. These guys are going to serve. And so here's what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Now he says, deacons likewise. Now, it's important to understand likewise is a Greek word that means distinguishing another group, but of the same manner. In other words, a lot of the characteristics of the, of the pastor, elder, whatever you want to call him, and the deacons are common. Characteristics are common. Responsibility and calling, entirely different, okay? Now, he says deacons likewise, another group. He says they must be dignified. They must be honorable they must be serious about the task. Whatever the assignment is, they're going to give it all they have. It goes on, it says they're not to be two-faced, speaking out of both sides of their mouth, a forked tongue. It says not given to excessive drinking. Pause. Now, here's a bone of contention in our church and in our world. And I don't care to talk about it because the whole world's talking about everything. So let me let you know where we stand with alcohol, okay? If you come to a new member's class, you hear it. When you get to a passage that includes it right there in the passage, I need to talk about it. And so it says here that the deacons, it says they must not be given to excessive drinking. It does not say a deacon is not allowed to drink alcohol. It says they shouldn't be given to excessive drinking. Now this gets very complex very quickly because I don't know if you know what all the variables are that determine what excessive drink is. Excessive drinking means to labor over it for a long time, to pursue it with a passion, to have your mind alter and to be inebriated by it. So what does that even mean in today's world? I don't know if you know it, but all of these variables affect mine or your ability to drink alcohol. Here they are. All of these are real. Age, gender, race, fitness, speed of consumption, percent of alcohol, ounces of the drink, body weight, tolerance, food and water intake. Very complex. So what, how do we treat our deacons when it says you can't excessive drink? We make these little cards, you see, and we laminate them in plastic and we put all that criteria and how to figure out how much is too much to drink, right? No, we don't do that. That's dumb. We don't do that. We make it real simple. We say, deacons, you're a leader in the church. 
and the pastors of the church and any ministry leaders, we ask you to abstain from drinking alcohol while you serve in that position. Is it because I'm afraid Steve and TJ are going to drink too much alcohol this next year as deacons? Not at all. But I'm afraid somebody they might know, somebody they might have influence over, might see them drink and cause them to drink in excess. So as leaders, we want to lead people to the absolute uh, best life they can live. And I honestly don't believe a best life includes alcohol. At the same time, I don't judge people who drink alcohol. If you're not a leader in the church and you have alcohol in your life, that's between you and the Lord. I don't judge you if, if I see you about that stuff. But for me and my house, we don't drink. And I ask all of our pastors and our leaders and our deacons not to drink. Why? Because it's so confusing. It's so complex. How do you determine what is excess? Okay? Now, and we all agree alcohol is a huge problem in this world, right? We, we all agree that. You probably know somebody who struggles with substance abuse right now, and alcohol may be one. In fact, there's a lot of talk about uh, opioid um, attraction, opioid addiction. Listen what, what the American Psychological Association writes. Alongside the opioid overdose crisis, another hidden epidemic is quietly raging. Every year in the United States, more people die of alcohol-related causes than from opioids and other drugs combined. Alcohol-related deaths increased more than 25% increased more than between 2019 and 20. Among adults under 65, more people died from alcohol-related causes in 2020 than to COVID-19. On top of those many deaths, countless other people are impacted by alcohol's ripple effects. Car crashes, increases in violence and assault, riskier sexual behaviors, jobs lost, families fractured, and children's lives being made unstable by a parent's dependence on a drug that is not just illegal, but celebrated, unquote. Between 2015 and 2019, between the ages of 20 and 49, one out of every five deaths was related to alcohol. And so I'll dial it in closer. The number one problem in our church, it's not pornography, not physical abuse, it's not adultery. Those are problems. It's alcohol. My husband drinks too much. My wife drinks too much. My parents won't stop drinking. My kids are drinking and they're underage. And so we want to lead people well. Why? Because we don't want to put a stumbling block in front of other people. Romans chapter 14, 13 says, Therefore, we must not pass judgment on one another, but rather determine never to place an obstacle or a trap before a brother or sister. And if you don't think alcohol is celebrated and promoted on this world, you got your head stuck in the sand. I did a little research. I, I listen to Christian music predominantly, but sometimes the songs get a little redundant, and so I got to get a little break. So what do I do? I listen to 1970s rock, the real good stuff. It's terrible too, but it's a break in the action, all right? Sometimes I go to country. I do not go to rap, for the record. Okay, I don't go to heavy metal or rock, but I listen to some country music. But here's what I've noticed. I've noticed recently, every time it seems like I turn on a country station just thumbing through, it's about alcohol. So I did a little research. It took me 15 minutes to find this. Alcohol, a name of a song. I'm going to give you the name of the song and the artist. Alcohol by Paisley. Billy's Got His Beer Goggles On by McCoy. Beer Calling My Name by Rogers and Combs. Drunk on a Plane by Bentley. Every Time I Drink, I Fall in Love by Keith. Friends in Low Places by Brooks, Get Drunk and Be Somebody by Keith, Here for the Party by Wilson, I Gotta Get Drunk by Jones, Jose Cuervo by West, Killing Time by Black, Long Neck Bottle by Brooks, Margaritaville by Buffett, Neon Light by Shelton, One Bourbon, One Scotch, One Beer by Hooker, Parking Lot Party by Bryce, Red Solo Cup by Keith, Sundays by Florida Georgia Line, Tequila Makes Her Clothes Fall Off by Nichols, Up Down by Wallen, Whiskey Chasing by Stampley, You and Tequila by Chesney. I just gave you 22 uh, songs of the 26 alphabet of our 26 letters, and they're about alcohol. So don't tell me it's not promoted. Meanwhile, while the while the world is screaming that it's the magic potion to make life better, Scripture reigns in and says don't look at it when it sparkles in a glass because it'll sting you like a viper. Scripture says don't take 
alcohol into your life. It's for people who are dying and people who are suffering. Alcohol is not for kings and leaders. And so we ask our leaders to abstain. Now, right now, some of you have already thought, when I get in the car, I know what I'm going to say. That preacher always bringing up alcohol, he never brings up gluttony. (laughs) You know why? I looked it up too. There's one song about gluttony. It's by Weird Al Yankovic. It's called Eat It. Case closed. Not only that, listen to me. Listen to me. I'll tell all of our leaders, deacons, don't overeat. Gluttony is a sin. Adultery is a sin. Lying is a sin. Gossip is a sin. Slander is a sin. Idolatry is a sin. Let's just call a sin a sin. Let's just call bad things bad things and good things good things. And we'll keep moving before somebody throws a rock at me. Now, and at the end of the day, let me just tell you, I would prefer 1,000 deacons or church members showing up on Sunday tanked up on two cases of Twinkies as opposed to one who had a six-pack of beer. So it's not even the same comparison. It's silliness. And so I'll say again, I don't judge you, but I'll encourage you for your best life. And I think your best life and the best life for those around you that we don't know how they're wired and what their predisposition may be, the best, best life. It's just to abstain because unlike the early church, we have plenty of options to choose from. Now, let's keep going. Not greedy for gain, these deacons should be. In other words, not after dishonorable gain. Verse number nine, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, a solid handle on the word of God. And these also must be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they're found blameless. In other words, They're not new Christians. They're already Christians serving in the local church. And it says, verse 11, likewise, hosatos, that's a Greek word again. In other words, a distinguishing a group of similar manner. Also, their wives must be dignified, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in every respect. Some people have taken this verse along with other verses and said, hey, this is a scripture for female deacons, for deaconesses. Some churches have done that. That's not what we do. That makes no sense that you're going to have a deacon serving and somebody else's wife, who's a deaconess, serving together. That is a recipe for failure, okay? No, it means a man's wife should be distinguished and and she should be seasoned and she should love the word of God and she should be alongside him. I served as as a deacon for years and Kendra was right there with me. I serve as a pastor now. And it doesn't say this about the pastor's wife like it does a deacon's wife. She doesn't, she's not included in everything I do, okay, as pastor, but she's right alongside me. And she's, she's, she has a harder job than I do. And she's an amazing pastor's wife. You can give me a little, you can give me a little sugar for that later on. Now, she is an amazing, she is an amazing pastor's wife. And there are people today uh, who ordain all, a variety of people. But I think it's very clear, and we don't ordain women. Verse 12, deacons must be husbands of one wife. Here we go again, another controversial verse in a world where, where divorce, unfortunately, is, 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 is everywhere. And so this, is, this does not exclude people from serving I showed you a three a video of a three-year-old ready to serve. You can serve anywhere you want to serve. Do anything you want to do, but you can't be a deacon or a pastor. Because we believe if this when it says the husband of one wife, it doesn't mean the husband of one wife at a time. Okay? It doesn't mean the husband of one wife that you love more than the others. It means one wife for a life. And it's that simple. And so there, there are strong parameters for what it means to be a deacon or a pastor. Verse 12, second half. They must be good managers of their children and their households. And somebody thinking, I know some of those deacons, I've seen their kids. It doesn't mean they have perfect families, just like you don't have a perfect family. It means the deacon and his wife are doing everything possible to give biblical instruction into their family teaching their children about, the, the children get to choose their life and choose their decisions, but it means the parents are instructing them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons, listen to this deacons, this is good. For those who have served well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So pastors lead and deacons serve. Pastors lead the body deacons serve the body. And the relationship between the pastor and deacon is significant and it's special and it's 
beautiful. It's complementary. It is not antagonistic against each other. I lean on our deacons. I love our deacons. They love me for the most part. They love me. I know they do. And I had in, uh, in a meeting one day, Cliff Lowe, was, was, he just rotated off. He was one of our chairmen. He said, hey, this thing came up in the church, and I was just thinking about it. I'm thinking maybe we need to do something like this. And I said, that sounds great. Let's do that. And he said to me, is there nothing we can argue about? And I said, not now. Not when we're doing things right. No, nothing to argue about. And so there's a partnership there between a pastor and a deacon that is amazing. It's biblical and godly. And these deacons, they serve in smaller circles, and they have their ear to the track, and they look and they see areas. They, they might be in the parking lot, and they see a parking lot packed mule mama, you know, with three babies and nine bags on her back. And they say, hey, we need to start taking care of our mothers who are single, coming with, you know, babies and all these bags, you know, or, or they see whatever need it is, and they, they develop a little coalition among the deacons to satisfy and resolve the need in the church. And I listen to deacons, and deacons listen to me. When we want to make a decision about something, almost, we don't make that many big decisions. We, I make decisions. I, I lead our pastoral staff. We meet every week in staff meeting. We talk about needs. We make decisions sometimes. None of them's big pendulum shifters from one side to the other, just just deciding on things as we move forward. But if there's a serious need or a serious decision, we talk to the deacons about it and, and, and see what they think about it, make sure we're moving in the right direction. But we listen to everybody. But if you want to know who has the ear of the pastoral leadership, it's the faithful attender, the committed server, the generous giver, and the diligent example of Jesus to the world. You find me that person, it looks like a lot of you, you got my ear because you're engaged in what God has called us all to be engaged in, and that is to be examples and, uh, and mentors to the world, examples of Jesus in a broken world. And so here at Sturkey Hills, every year we have, we have 12 deacons and their wives, okay? And I want to introduce you to the 12 coming up in, for the year of 24. Put up on screen here. Okay, that's... Don and Vicky. Don plays the keyboard up here, and Vicky serves at other areas. This is uh, John and Mindy. Mindy takes care of our kitchen, a lot of our kitchen stuff, and John serves on finance. Uh, this is Steve and Liz, and we're ordaining Steve today. Uh, this is Dan and Carol, and uh, Dan will be one of our chairmen this year. Carol's our financial uh, assistant, um, administrative assistant. This is Jordan and Pam. I think uh, we ordained them last year. Uh, and, and this is Ed and Kim. Ed will be one of our chairmen this year. Ed and Kim serve in a lot of areas. You see them at the Connection Center. Uh, right over here, you see Lee and Tammy. They help me with baptism and other areas. He's serving. Uh, right here, we see Matt and Sarah. And every time I talk about uh, having children in order, I think of Matt. He's got three little ones, and they're 100 miles an hour, no breaks like I was. And so uh, he, they serve. They're probably in children right now serving. This is TJ and Jennifer. I'm going to, uh, we'll be ordaining TJ here in just a few minutes. And this is Steve and Janice. He's rotating back on. He's one of our seasoned elders. Uh, we're Steve in here. That's, just right. That's a nice way of saying old. Anyway, um, we got Russell and Lauren just ordained him last year. And they serve in a lot of areas. And then Grant and Lauren over here, a uh, picture came in a little dark simply because they weren't here. And so they serve... In, in a lot of areas. So that's our deacons. Now, we want to change. We want to help you. Each week when the Life Guide comes out, it'll say Deacons of the Week, and it'll have a couple of names in there and some phone numbers. So if you have a need in your life, a prayer need, a physical need, your neighbors, somebody's house burned down, somebody's sick in the hospital, that's your first line of, of attack. That's who you contact first. You're welcome to call me. Uh, most of you have my number open to that, but they are Tier 1 problem solvers, okay? They're Tier 1 builders of unity in the church. They're tier one side by side with me. Now let's finish up. We got problems, priorities, and prescriptions. We're done with this one final thing. Number four on your life guide, progress beyond the growing pains. Growing is beautiful. Growing pains are magnificent. Understanding priorities through it all and establishing prescriptions for things, it's beautiful. And when we do it biblical, and when we do it prayerfully, and when we do it well, and when we do it in unity, I want, you to I want to show you what it looks like on the heels of problem growing pains. Verse 5, the proposal pleased the entire group, so they chose Stephen 
a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, along with Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a Gentile convert to Judaism from Antioch. Verse 6, they stood these men before the apostles who prayed and placed their hands on them. And that's what we're going to do for TJ and Steve in just a minute. And look at verse 7. The word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Growing pains are just a part of growing, period. And when we do it like God wants us to do, we just slide right through it and brush it off. And we come out on the other side better than we ever were. Amen? And you, every single one of you, have a part in that. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to be even a leader. You can be a guest considering this as your church home. It's an opportunity for you to engage in what God is doing here on this hill at Sturkey Hills. It's a beautiful thing that I couldn't imagine what it would look like. I saw a little bit of a vision of what it would look like. But God is doing something supernatural. And so problems exist, and our solution is not murmuring and complaining. It's serving. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we thank you for this passage. God, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for what you've promised you'll continue to do in the future. God, it's our prayer that we will just align with your will and your way and your word. And God, that we will do our part, whether pastor, whether deacon, whether leader, whether just serving. God, will find our place to deploy the fruits and the gifts that you've deposited in our life so that you will receive the glory, your church will be expanded, hell will be robbed, and heaven will be increased because of those who receive the gospel of Jesus and will give you praise for it all. Now, church, I want you to know today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is as easy as responding to the Holy Spirit's invitation in your heart. If you feel remotely that God is inviting you into his family, don't run from that. Simply respond. How do I respond? You say, God, I repent of my sin. It means I change my mind. I agree now with you, God. And I want to live for you from this day forward. I want Jesus to come into my life and rescue me and save me and seal me with your Holy Spirit. And God, I'll live for you from now through eternity. And thank you for inviting me into your family. Thank you for dying on a cross to save me. And thank you for saving me on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.